The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. I think it's fair to say that we have a shortage of doctors in the country. I'm not talking about in the hospitals, although we have a shortage of consultants, but general practitioners who perform such an essential service for people around the country. Estimates that by next year could be anything between 500 and 1,500 unfilled vacancies for GPs around the country, which leads to all sorts of issues about the timeliness of getting treatment, how long you can spend with a doctor when you're in there, and much arising out of that. And then what about for the doctors themselves? As it happens, our next guest is a GP in Galway City, Dr. Maura McLaughlin, and she wrote in a WhatsApp group amongst GPs recently about her own experiences. And we came across it and we thought she'd be a very good guest to join us on the programme. Dr. Maura McLaughlin, thank you very much for being with us. Thanks for having me. I get the impression you love being a GP, but it's almost wearing you out, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I... I absolutely love my job it's the best job in the world um but it the demands of the job have grown exponentially over the last number of years such as what sort of things have made it harder well i think i'm not sure that people see the job that it that a GP does. You know, often people think that the job a GP does is so you come to me and I give you an antibiotic or you come to me and I give you a cert. But what you're buying when you come to your GP is not a prescription or a cert. What you're buying is for us to take responsibility. So when you bring in a sick child with a temperature it's, and you say, Dr. Mora, is this a cold or it could it possibly be meningitis? It's my job to decide which it is. And, I, and the responsibility for that decision lies with me. And if I'm wrong, I'm to blame. And the reason that I can do my job and sleep is because of the, tra- the long and hard training and experience that I have um, that lets me make that decision and be right 90% of the time and then safety net so that the other 10%, the mistake is caught before there's a bad outcome to a patient. Um, but... That's only the tip of the iceberg of what a GP job actually is. So we're working in a very broken system. So if if I make a referral for an endoscopy for a patient, I can't be sure that that endoscopy will be done in a timely fashion and that my patient will get their scope when they need it. So it's my job to pick out the 1 in 30 that I think really has a bowel tumour and really can't waste nine months for his scope. And then it's my job to advocate for that patient and to push him through by whatever means necessary. Either send him to A&E, phone a consultant, say, what's your name? How do you spell that? And how are you going to feel talking to this man's wife and his three children if he doesn't get this scope? And it's my job to get him the scope. Um, like the hard part of being a GP is not doing the bloods, it's not examining the patient, it's not even the paperwork or the extra you know, learning that we do outside of uh, our day-to-day life to keep up with new changes in medicine. The hard part of the job is the responsibility. The hard part of the job is that when I'm driving home in my car in the evening, I'm wondering, gosh, I hope that tummy pain was a bug and that I didn't miss and appendicitis. That's the hard part. And how much harder has it been made by having now to look after people who speak 
in different languages, the immigrant community into Ireland. Yeah. Because so uh, I, I know you've taken on Ukrainian refugees, for example. We've so taken how on do you Ukrainian that? refugees. It's actually been very challenging. The language barrier is a huge thing. Um, a lot of them are very little English. We're relying on things like um, Google Translate. Uh, some of them have apps on their phone where they can translate. They're coming with their medical notes. I had a patient with breast cancer who had to leave Ukraine in the middle of her breast cancer treatment. She was coming with her notes entirely in Ukrainian. And then it's my job to get her seen in the hospital and make that happen now and not in two or three weeks' time because she needs her chemo now. Um... So that is very time-consuming as well as being responsibility again, getting back to the issue of responsibility. And yet at the same time, are you being expected as well to take on more GP cards? We are being expected to take on more GP cards. And I feel that, so what, what I've done in my practice is the wait time for a routine appointment has grown from, used to be able to get a same-day or next-day appointment, but it's grown to over a week now. My husband works in Athenry. He has a bigger practice. His wait time is three weeks' time now. We keep a couple of slots every day for emergencies because there'll always be someone with chest pain or a hot child that needs to be seen that can't wait. But those emergency appointments, they're gone by lunchtime. And so what's happening is the patients are either ending up, if it is urgent and they can't wait, they're going into the out of hours or they're ending up waiting a week, a week and a half. And by the time they get their appointment, they're better. (laughs) Um, So I think if you put an awful lot of extra medical cards into a system that's already bulging, those waiting times are going to grow. And the other thing is that giving a load of of medical cards indiscriminately, not on a needs basis, in my opinion, is not the way to do things. I had two patients this year with metastatic cancer who, when I applied for an emergency GMS card for them, were declined. You know, there's a topic I want to bring up with you, and I know it's one that is a sensitive one, but I would like you to address it because we regularly get listeners complaining about the price of a doctor's visit. Yeah. Be it 60 euro or depending on what part of the country you're in, 70 euro or 80 euro, mm. and saying that it's all a money-making racket and that the doctors are making a small fortune out of it, and that's why you're off having your four and five holidays a year. What's your response to that? And like, that could not be further from the truth. Um, I I am a small business owner, so I have to pay my staff, I have to pay my rent, I have to pay my medical indemnity, I have to pay my insurance, I have to pay for medical waste disposal, I have to pay for electricity, and that's just the very tip of the iceberg, and that's before I get paid. I didn't get paid two months this year, because when the, the STCs that were given to us in COVID stopped and the private income has not come back to what it was pre-COVID. Sorry, what are the STCs? So STCs are special type claims. So during COVID, GPs were allowed to make a special type claim to get 15 euros for uh, having a COVID consult with a patient over the phone. Okay. And like when we made those COVID when I took that, picked up that phone and spoke to that person, I was doing my job with my hands tied behind my back. 
I couldn't see them. I couldn't examine them. I couldn't check what their oxygen saturations were. I was still responsible for the decision I made and still to blame if I made the wrong one. Then I had to go and physically process the referral. In COVID, GPs set up vaccine clinics and like giving the jab was easy, but the stress and the pressure of organizing those clinics was huge. We got a call on a Wednesday to say you're getting a delivery of 144 COVID vaccines on Friday and they have to be in people's arms inside 120 hours. We have to find those patients, sit down, make maybe 200 phone calls to try and fill the 144 slots. Then we have to do up the consent forms, put it all into the Socrates computerware and process it. Given the job was easy, given the job was, were some of the nicest days of COVID for us because everyone was so happy. They were done on a Saturday. One of my swimmers uh, uh, group contacted me and said she couldn't believe the atmosphere in the GP surgery on the day of the COVID vaccines. And she couldn't believe that all the staff were there on a Saturday. In your WhatsApp message, you write, I'm the one who stays late with a suicidal 22-year-old, even though my 10-year-old will miss his hurling. I'm the one who goes on a house call to an 88-year-old lady who can't come in. I'm the one that when the husband of my 54-year-old patient with metastatic cancer calls me in tears because he can't get MRI results, sits into my car and presents myself at the MRI department to get the report. I'm the one who phoned the A&E consultant who discharged my patient with intellectual disabilities at 11 at night in a taxi with a bag of antibiotics. He does doesn't know how to take and yet people will say you're well paid for doing that and you get your holidays I, d- I didn't get one single week off during COVID in 18 months there was no locum to cover me in, the only reason I got a week off in the end was because a local colleague heard what had happened phoned me and said this is ridiculous Maura, you can't keep going like this you need to close your surgery, have your staff answer the phone, and I will cover any emergencies for you. When I had surgery, and it did not go well, and I ha- had 10 days in ICU. Sorry, this is when you were sick yourself, off. is it? When I was sick myself. I went in for a procedure. It didn't go well. I ended up in ICU and almost died for 10 days. I had six weeks off, and only because my sister, who's a GP, covered me. And I was back at work six weeks after being that sick. What is your future in this? I mean, are you going to stick at it? I don't know. There were definitely times during COVID when I thought about saying, do you know what? I don't think I can keep doing this. The cost to my personal life is too high. Um, I, I studied so hard. I worked so hard. I did overnights in the hospital. I do study on my own time and I really just thought, Joe, I'm not sure if this is worth it. After I sent out my email, the response was absolutely phenomenal from the GP community, which uh, in my opinion means it's not just me who feels like this. Uh, The response, I sent it to some of my friends, my family, my patients and other colleagues and the response was unbelievably positive. I think sometimes when people think about doctors in an abstract way, they think, oh, doctors, not sure about them. Uh, You know, they're making loads of money, they're rich, they're, you know, but people generally like their own GP because when my patients come in here, they're not coming in to just an abstract doctor. They're coming in to Dr. Mora, who's married, 
with three kids who has two cats and a dog called Dotty Boodles. And I become a person. And then they appreciate me. And remember that you might go to your doctor for five years with nothing more than I just need to get a prescription for a cold or I just want to get my cholesterol checked. But when disaster happens, when someone in your house gets cancer, when someone in your house is at home and can't be cared for properly, that's when my true value really is seen. I started this more by making reference to the shortage of GPs mm. and the fear that it's going to get worse. Yeah. This isn't going to encourage any young doctor who's in training at the moment well, to take I have on seen, the GP in Ireland, really, is it? I have seen many colleagues who are fully trained, valuable, excellent doctors decide not to continue in general practice. I've seen doctors decide to work with BHI home care. I've seen doctors decide to go into occupational health medicine. I've seen doctors decide, no, I'm going to be an area medical officer. I've seen doctors decide to move into public health because because the demands are growing. And remember, being a GP now is not like being a GP in the past. In the past, you went to your GP if you were sick. Now we're supposed to catch you before you get sick. We're supposed to to make sure that you don't get sick in the first place. So that means screening, vaccinations, um, chronic disease management. Um, It's my job to pick out the person who maybe has a higher risk of cardiovascular disease and refer him for a CT coronary angiogram, which was something that didn't exist five years ago. So what's being expected of us has grown exponentially. I'm going to put it out to listeners to see what they think. Dr. Mm. Maura McLaughlin, GP in Galway City, thank you very much for taking the time to join us here on The Last Word. And uh, hopefully you'll get the supports that you need to be able to do the job that you clearly want to do and love doing. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.